I, uh, this is a, I feel really, really good about this sermon, but I just got to tell you, there's an interesting thing about it, and it goes something like this. In a very real way, it's sort of simple. And I don't know, but I don't usually think of myself as simple. <laughs> I do think of myself as overcomplicated, by the way. I think the very smartest people are the ones that can make everything simple. But this is sort of simple, simple to the point of it being a little obvious and a little bit like, of course, we know this. And so I'm asking you to do something, which is not be lulled to sleep by something that seems familiar, when in fact what the Lord is doing is something profound. Uh, this is a bad analogy, but I just got to use it. Have you ever noticed how the, the, the hardest core rock bands always produce the sweetest love songs? Like, you know, the saccharine sweet bands that produce love songs, they all sort of are in that same genre of sweetness and overly sweet. And then somehow some, you know, Rolling Stones or whatever comes out with Angie. You know, and it's rough on the edges, but it makes it all the sweeter for what it is. And I want to I present to you that there's something like that in this one that I want you, if you'll follow, if you'll go along with, if you'll really dig into and allow the thoughts that I'm giving to not just, be, not just come and go, but to actually grab a hold of them, you're going to find something remarkable something profound. I, I literally was like, Lord, it seems like it's too simple to preach this. And every time I said that, I was immediately met with, no, this is important. This is important. And I have that in me. I'm like, well, it really is. So, okay. So here we're going to go. Now I'm going to do a long intro and then we're going to have a prayer because you'll see why in a second, but, but I just want to do something. Okay. So here's how we're starting. What is your image of Jesus? Now, when I say that, I mean, when you picture Jesus in your mind, what does he look like, right? What's the image? Now, we're actually going to go a little deeper than just that question, but we want to start there, and I want to start here in that, and that is, there's really sort of, when you look at the, the iconization and the artwork and so on about Jesus, there's really two camps, and, and, you know, it's a generalization, so don't get hung up in the detail. But understand, there's two sort of camps as a generalization. One of them is what, we, what I'm going to call today Catholic. And the reason why I'm going to call it Catholic is because I literally went to Google and I said, Catholic image of Jesus. And then I took images from that, and then I went to other images of Jesus. Anyway, so there's a Catholic one, and then there's a Protestant one, Protestant one. We're protesting an image of Jesus that comes out of a Catholic thing. And I'm not trying to slam Catholics. I hope everybody here knows me well enough to know that I know that there's lots of Catholics that love Jesus and so on, right? And are saved and everything else. I also know that as it is in Protestant religion, there's lots of Catholics and Protestant that think they know Jesus because they've defined him on their own terms, but they're having a relationship with a God of their own making, okay? And it is, in fact, something different than what's true and real. So I just want to show you something, okay? When you go in and you search, this is an image that many of you, how many people actually grew up Catholic or had Catholic upbringing? It's quite a few. Now, you've probably seen this picture or one very close to it, okay? And that would be hanging in the hall as you're going down towards the priest's right, going down towards, you know, okay? But, but I want you to see a couple of things about this particular image. There's several things in there, actually. But I want you to see some things. There's actually theological things in this image that you wouldn't know unless you knew that they were, they were there for theological reasons. One of them is pretty obvious, and that is the halo. Okay, you're never gonna see an image in a Catholic church of Jesus, not never, but you're rarely going to see an image of, of Jesus in the Catholic church that doesn't have a halo. Now, why is that? Because Jesus is holy. But look at what's happening here. We're emphasizing a certain aspect of Jesus when we emphasize certain things. And the certain thing that's being emphasized here is that he's holy. And by the way, if you're Protestant and you don't understand that Jesus is holy, you've got a big problem with knowing who Jesus really is. Because he is holy. And I think that we can be way too familiar and assume that Jesus is okay with something that he is not okay with at all. So don't misunderstand me when I say this. But what I want you to understand is there's actually something behind that halo, which is a bit more problematic. And that is, if you think about the technical definition of what holiness is, here's what it actually means. Not like you. That's what holiness means. Not like you. 
It's, it, holiness is a definition by contrast. What it's saying is, whatever you are is not holy. <laughs> and he is. You see it? So there's this, there's this interesting sort of distance being put right in the halo. He's holy, you're not. Now think about Catholicism. And think about the fact, when you die Protestant, our belief is you go straight to be with God, right? Or some such thing like that, but there's no intermediate step. In Catholicism, when you die, only the saints go straight to heaven, and there's very few of them. Everybody else goes to the high-pressure wash called purgatory. Okay? That cleanses you. Because you need to be cleansed. You see the emphasis? You see how it's coming out? You see how the theology is creeping into the image? This is the idea that I really want you working with today. What's your image of God, and what does it reflect about how you think about him? How you feel about him? What, how your theology is? So right here, now, now just, I just want to show you something so you know that I'm... This, the second thing is the more important thing. Tell me what expression it is that he has on his face right there. Is that... Is, is it happy? Is it sad? Is it mad? Is it, what is it? No, I, I want to tell you what it is. Actually, if you're an artist that does this kind of thing and creates this kind of art, here, I want to make you something clear. It is literally expressionless. It is meant not to communicate any expression whatsoever. Not love, not anger, not anything. It's meant, what, what the theological principle behind it is, immutability. Immutability means what we do right and wrong doesn't change him because he's God. But now look what's being said there. He's distant from us. We're, we're, not, we're not making him mad. Now, of course, we can make him mad, and Catholics understand that. But you understand? And, of course, God loves you. But look, he loves you who isn't holy, and you're problematic, so he can't like smile at you because you're a sinner. You see it? There's an immutability. Now, let me, let me change it to another word, stoic. If you go out to, with, to dinner with a friend and they are being stoic, what do you do? What is wrong with you? <laughs> We're not connecting. You're just sitting there. You're distant. You've separated yourself from me. Do you see it? That's what stoic means. It means that there's some, and stoic always has a little bit of connotation in it of judgment, doesn't it? I'm stoic for a reason. You. <laughs> See? So I've distanced myself in a way where I'm, see what I mean? I, like I may love you, but I can't really because you're not, because, you see, you catch it? Now look, this is, I literally did a, this is a Google search image for Catholic Jesus image, right? And I want you to see every single image, even the bestseller one there, every single image on there, you see it? Do you see how there's not one time that his expression is expression? It's always this. this is a, there's a theological point being made. When you look at a picture of Jesus, you're supposed to think, as a Catholic, two things. He's holy and I'm not. And there's a problem between us that he has to distance himself from me. That is meant to be in the picture. You see it? The theology goes into the image. Now, there is one other image about Jesus, of course, that's very popular in a Catholic church and which is in consistent with what I'm just saying right here, and that's this. Oops. That's this. In Catholic churches, you will see a cross, and Jesus will almost always be on the cross. Not always, but almost always. Jesus will almost always be on the cross. Now, if you're walking into church, and you look at the, and you know, I mean, the, you know, the architecture in the Catholic church is meant to be big and grand, and, and it's meant to awe, and then what you see is the center of the awe is Jesus on the cross. What is that communicating to you? You need to be saved. Sinner. That's what's communicating. Now, is there love in it? Yes, of course there is. The love of a holy God for a sinful person. But it's not love like friend. See what I mean? It's not love like buddy. Are you catching it? This is, the, this is meant to be. Now, watch this. Even in heaven, 
What you don't find is a smiling Jesus. In fact, I want you to see something here. What's that image supposed to be communicating? Yes, but Jesus is God. Jesus is the Father. Jesus is the Father same. Do you see it? Do you see how their faces are at exactly the same angle? They have exactly the same expression? Everything about what they're doing here is the same. What it's communicating is the Father and the Son are both stoic, distant, separated. On the throne, you're a problem. Do you see this? That's in heaven. Now, if you've got Jesus being that, and you want people to love God, but he's stoic and judgmental to a degree, and so on, then you have to come up with some way to connect people to God, right? Because you can't connect with Jesus, because you're a problem. You can't get into his presence because he's holy. So what do you come up with? You have to come up with a way to connect, and here how you connect. You connect through Mary. That's how you connect to God. You don't connect with Jesus, the one who died for your sins. He's up there sort of like the Father, not so happy with you. Distant. But Mary, now think about it. There's two reasons why Mary. One of them is she's feminine. And the archetype of femininity in the world is the ones that care for you. So who cares for you? Not those holy God, but rather the woman who understands that there's like a gulf between you and is trying to bridge the gulf. Do you see it? Now, you can go further and understand it's always the mother Mary. Why? Every son is supposed to do what? Listen to their mother. I'm not making this up. This is where this comes from. This is what this is trying to communicate. And what is being communicated here is, look at Jesus, by the way. Baby Jesus, stoic. <laughs> see it? But you see, Mary, Mary is the one who understands what it is to be human. The pain of it is trying to reconcile you with Jesus, and she's his mom, so he's got to listen to her. And so when you go in for confession, you'll, say that you'll speak to the priest, and not every time, but most of the time, he'll give you as penance, payment, not Jesus on the cross, died for your sins, forgiven, but he'll give you, you've got to pray to Mary in order, to pray, in order to, that she'll talk to Jesus in order that you'll get forgiveness. So what you do is you say, Hail Mary, full of grace, and you'll have the rosary, and you count off, like, say, seven Hail Marys for that thing you did. Hail Mary, full of grace, our Lord is with thee. Blessed are thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy room, Jesus. Holy Mary. Now understand, this is a side point, but understand. You know the Immaculate Conception? That's not about Jesus' miraculous birth. That's about Mary's miraculous birth. Mary was born holy, which is the only way that a human being could give birth to holy God. So holy Mary, she's holy, completely holy, no sin ever. Mother of God, because there was a miracle that was done that she was not born in sin, unlike everybody else. Mother of God, see it? Mother of God, mother of God, think about that. Pray for us sinners. Who's praying for the sinners? Mary's praying for you to Jesus now and at the hour of our death. Okay, we got it? So right there, we have what we would call the Catholic image of Jesus, and we're seeing the theology behind it, the reasons behind it, the weight behind it, why that artistry, why that iconization comes out the way that it does. Now, if we go over to the Protestant side, Martin Luther said, gee, it's not about Mary at all. Jesus is the one that came to us and was supposed to be with us, and that was supposed to be our connection, intimacy, love, so on. And so therefore, now you'd see this same picture in a Catholic church too, but in a Protestant church, you're gonna, the images of Christ that you're going to see are going to look more like this. Jesus with people. Because Jesus is the way that you connect with God. Jesus is God. But then Jesus does go back to the Father and intercede for the Father too, right? 
But you see, the point is, is he's with people all the time. Here's an image that you're not going to see in a Catholic church. I'm not saying ever, but okay, generalizing in order to make a point. This is heaven. Look at Jesus, he's smiling. And look at all the people that are smiling. They're in love. They're, this is that Protestant image of what it's like to be reunited, reunited with Jesus, right? To be united with Jesus in heaven is a time of joy, of love, of happiness, of smiles, of glory, of this is wonderful. This is what the artist, the, the art is going to come out with this kind of imagery because the theology behind the image is going to be one of love, of, of intimacy, of connection. You see it? By the way, we're not going to have Jesus on the cross in a Protestant church most of the time. We're going to have an empty cross. Why? Because it was really important that Jesus died for my sins. But that's not the end of it. He died and forgave me, and it was once for all, it's over. The empty cross is the important point. See what I mean? And not just the empty cross. In this example right here, the cloth, what's that cloth from? What's it signifying? The resurrection. The shroud, right? Or the, the head wrap in particular. And it goes on the cross because what's being said in that image right there, what's being communicated is, and Jesus died for my sins, but then... He rose again and forgave and made me new. So all of that is communicated. It's an empty cross. It still speaks the, that he had to die for me. It's not about, right? But it's saying there's more to the story. And so it's putting the emphasis on a certain syllable. You see it? Artistry-wise. And so the image of God, now you would find this image in a Catholic church too, but I just want to show you. The image of God that most Protestants carry, of Jesus, that most Protestants carry in their mind is something like this. Jesus is walking with you. Jesus is with you. See it? Jesus is with me. This is awesome. Now, right there, I've drawn a great big dividing line between Catholic and Protestant, and now I'm going to obliterate that in one instance, because in most cases, you're going to have that difference. Most Catholics will talk about Catholic guilt, the imagery, the theology, and so on is built to do that. Most Protestants will talk about Jesus's love. That's our theology, so that's what our imaging is. That's what, how we think of him. Until we get to one place as Protestants, Look, when I sin and I need to be forgiven, it's really good that I'm able to call on Jesus to forgive me. When I am in need, like that last image, you know, where they're walking along, and you remember the two footprints in the sand poem? You know, Jesus, look, there we were walking together, and then I got into a really bad place, and there was only one set of footsteps. Where did you go? And Jesus says, oh, that's when I was carrying you. So... If we're in need, or we need to be forgiven, we want Jesus right there by us with his arm around us, right? But now I want you to think about, and this is where it's super important. If you get this part right here, you're going to get what God wants to do in the rest of the sermon. Now I want you to, to think about, how do you feel about the fact that Jesus is watching you every single second of your life? Watching you. I had a little clip that I took out because it just didn't seem, but it was that, the creepiest pop love song of all time, which is Sting saying, every move you make, every step you take, I'm watching you. Every bond you break, I'm watching you. By the way, I always thought to myself, he could not have written such a creepy song. You know what I mean? And then I, I watched a thing about him talking about it, and he said, no, he said, I'm a very obsessive person, and it was really a very critical, obsessive song. I meant it to be creepy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm like, okay. Glad for that. Uh, but, but you catch a drift. See, there's something about, even as Protestants, as much as we think that Jesus is our connection to God, as much as we know that he loves us, as much as we know that he understands us, and everything else, the thought of him watching us at every single second makes you feel a little bit like you're being called to the principal's office. There's something wrong, right? I don't want him watching me all the time. I just want him there when I need him there. 
So we're going to kill that today. We're going to kill that thought that this is creepy of Jesus because he is there every single second. And he's not creepy. So we're going to kill that. And that's where we're headed. And Robert Kelly, you are, for all kinds of reasons, one of my favorite people in all the world and the perfect person to be praying for this sermon. Uh, I just adore you. So uh, thank you for who you are and what you're contributing to the body of Christ in general. So pray for the sermon. Lift up another church, would you? Lord Jesus, we thank you that we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Amen. Who can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward because he himself is beset with weakness, Lord. You knew what it was like to be on this earth, Lord. You knew, you know what we go through. You know what our lives are like. You face that, Lord. You, you know our suffering. You know suffering more than anyone, Lord. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for your love for us that sees past our ignorance and our waywardness, Lord, that, that reaches out to us and pulls us close to you in spite of it, Lord, that, that says when we're on the wrong path, hey, let's go do something else. Amen. <laughs> we thank you for that, Lord. We pray that you would help us to see that aspect of you this morning, Lord. If that's not something that we see when we think of you, Lord, when we speak with you, Lord, that you would make that the first thing in our hearts and our minds today, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, I lift up uh, Redeemer Church in La Mirada, California, and pray you, that uh, your love would be made known there as well, Lord, that your, um, your desire to bring people to you would be powerful there this morning. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That uh, high priest pass passage is the one I didn't put in this thing because I just felt like I had too many scriptures in there. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. All right, we're in Luke. By the way, let me just, let me just do this. I should have done this at the intro. When you picture Jesus standing right beside you, watching you all the time, is the image one of a stoic, holy judgment? Or is it him as intimate, helpful, fun, love? That's what we're going after, right? All the time. Now, having said that, we're in Luke. Jesus has been talking about end times. We've been doing an interesting thing with him where we've been looking at what he means in the end times so that we're getting the, the, the first meaning of it, but we're also looking underneath it to see how a fulfillment that's going to happen later is actually happening now, too, in us. So in that same spirit, here we go. Then he gave them this illustration at the end. Remember, this is his last public one. He's been talking about end times. He gave them this illustration. Notice the fig tree or any other tree. When the leaves come out, you know without being told that summer's near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place. What things? The things we've been looking at for the last four weeks. These end times prophecy that Jesus is giving. You can know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place. And we have seen how that is fulfilled, even though there is excess meaning that has an ultimate fulfillment. Having said that, though, this is the part that we're really going after today. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap. For the day will come upon everyone living on earth. Keep alert at all times and pray that you may be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man instead of wilting in them. In other words, standing in his strength, his power, his protection. Now, having said that, the part that we're really looking at is this stand before the Son of Man, at least initially. What it is to stand before the Son of Man. Now, in terms of the ultimate fulfillment all Christians ought to know this, and if you don't, man, learn it right now. And anybody who might be visiting here who doesn't know the Lord, I love you. This may sound harsh, but I'm going to tell you, this is what the Word says, and this is a truth. There is going to come a day where, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit upon His glorious throne, and the nations will be gathered in His presence, and He will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. This is a certainty. 
This, we have had enough prophecies by God that we know that these things are real and true to be confident that this also is true. Having said that, though, that's that ultimate fulfillment. So now what we're going to be looking for is, is what's the sort of nearer term or the ones that are happening? What is it to stand before the Lord right now? And I've already said it. I'm suggesting to you what it means is to, have, to stand in his presence all the time, to be cognizant of it, and to stand in his presence. What is that about? How do we do that well? Now, as we've said, what we're going after is getting to that kind of a relationship, but let me actually give you a better one. I want to tell you right now, this is the moment where if, you, if this image, if you let this image get into your heart, I think you will know who Jesus is on an entirely different level, no matter how much of this you already understood. But this is the image that I think perfectly represents the part of Jesus that has to do with his love for us. I love this photo. And I love this photo for about three reasons. Look, look at the first one. You see the little kid's eyes? He's just having fun because he's with dad. You see that? He's, he is thinking about the ball and stuff like that, but really, Dad's just doing something with me, and I'm just having fun. Now, right there, that's what it is to come as a child into Jesus' presence. If you don't come as one of these, you can't get there. If you come thinking of me as something else, like taking the bat and beating you over the head with it, that's a very different image. The way that you come to me is to understand he's just happy to be with his dad. Now, he is looking at what's coming, but look at the dad's eyes. And I love this. I want you to think of it. Jesus knows what's coming. He knows what the kid doesn't. That's going to happen now. <coughs> he's looking at it intently. <coughs> you see it? And he's, he's primed. This is going to be different. You don't quite understand what's going to happen, but I'm right here with you. Don't worry. And he's got it. Do you see that? He's going to protect the kid, but he's also going to put the kid in the game. You see it? I'm right there with you. I know what's happening, and I'm excited about this. See this? You're going to get to experience something right now. Now, right there, you can't get a better image of Jesus with you every moment because that's what it ought to be right there. That's the theology right there. But having said that, I want us to say something. When we think of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who's the one that we think of being with us all the time? It's not actually Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit. As Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another, because I'm going away. He'll give you another advocate, counselor, helper who will never leave you. But then we always have to remember something. By the way, I've used these same scriptures for about four weeks now. Can I say something? I don't actually repeat myself because I forgot that I used them. And when I'm repeating myself, I always ask whether or not I should be repeating myself. And I'm telling you the reason why I use them. And when I repeat myself, the reason why I'm repeating myself is because I feel like the Lord is trying to get something through to us. And the thing that I think he's trying to get through to us, which we're seeing today, is it's not just the Holy Spirit that's with us. Jesus said right there in that Last Supper, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. So when you think of this guy helping the kid, think of the Holy Spirit as inside. But think of Jesus as the one who is this guy. With the, you know, right there with him. See what I mean? Now, when we do that, well, I just want you to see the image of God. Now watch. In the very first three verses of the Bible, we have the Trinity revealed, Right? But I want to show you not just that the Trinity is revealed, I want to show you that the nature of each one is revealed. Here's the Holy Spirit in Genesis 2. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was where? On the throne? No, he's mixing it up. It's formless and void. Tohu wabohu, which simply means formless and void. It has no shape and therefore no meaning. Think of it as, in, in, if, you're, if you're the kind of person that likes physics and the stars and the forming of the stars and all that, think of it as the beginning of this thing is just saying it was just formlessness, which is what it was. 
But then it started to shape into stars. And it started to shape into galaxies, and it started to shape into planets. It started, you see, things started to take on shape, and as they took on shape, they had meaning. A star has a different meaning and purpose than a planet does. You see it? So what's happening is the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water, bringing shape and purpose and meaning to what was before formless and void. And let me say right now, if you want to know what the Holy Spirit does in our lives every day, all the time, this is it. He comes into the formless and void of our lives and he starts to shape it into something that has meaning and purpose. Beautiful, right? But here's the key to it, and here's what we're trying to get out of it right now. Look where he is. He's not distant. He's not stoic. He's in. Mixing it up. Taking the clay. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now we understand that that is Jesus. How do we understand that? Because John, absolutely taking right, or the Holy Spirit taking right from Genesis, says these words to us. In the beginning, the word already existed. God said the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. And every time is God said, let there be light. God said, let there be this. God said, let there be that. You see it? And what's being said and what John is clearly referencing, what the Holy Spirit is clearly referencing through John is that Jesus is the instrument through which God did everything, which means that Jesus is where? Is he also, as we saw earlier, on the throne stoic with the Father? No. He's issuing forth from the Father according to the Father's will, according to his own will too. They're in total sync and harmony, but he's in the mix. He's mixing it up. So now what we see is three parts of the nature of God, the Holy Spirit and Jesus, both of them are not sitting on the throne. Not that they don't have moments where they do, but that's not where they stay. They come off the throne and get into the nitty-gritty of us. Oh, except for the Father. Now, I'm telling you, this is, you will learn this in systematic theology. The Father always needs to stay on the throne because there's always got to be somebody who's anchoring this thing. You see it? Somebody who's in control, just in case it goes bad or something, whatever. <laughs> right? But the point is, is we image the Father. Now, when you have, an, you have an image of the Father, and I would ask you right now, what's your image of the Father? Because I can tell you right now, if everybody is honest about, well, what is my image of the Father? It's pretty much going to be him on a throne in heaven. That's what it's going to be. The problem is it's not what is solely biblical. There are certainly many images that we get of God the Father on the throne. But there's something else that we get out of Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let me just, I'm pushing a point here a little bit, but let me just say something. It doesn't say, in the beginning, God caused the Holy Spirit and Jesus to go get involved and make the creation. It's saying God created. God was involved in this. Excuse me, I keep saying Father. The Father was involved in this. In the beginning, the Father. God as a whole created it, but the Father was intimately involved in it. And if you don't like, if you think I pressed that point too far, let me take you to this place. Here's God in, in a way that a lot of people would conceptualize him, particularly when he's particularly mad. And there are some scenes in Revelation where he's upset, right? Immutable, my rear, you know. He's, that's not immutable, that's mad, okay? A glorious thing, Right? but now I want you to see something. What Jesus said in that final thing was, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the helper to be with you. And by the way, I'm not leaving his orphans. I'm going to be with you. But then what have we been seeing for weeks now? My Father will love you and we. The Father, the Father will come and make our home with each of you. No, 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 no. I go to God. He's the one that prepared many rooms. By the way, killer word. I go to God, many rooms, right? The Father does not come down here to be in me. Doesn't he know who I am? Are you seeing it? I just, 
we need to know the whole of Scripture because the whole of Scripture is painting a picture, an image of the Father who is like that. He's in. He's leaning and it's, it's reaching down. It's, but it's not just, see, even that one is still above. So let me just put it this way. Here's the image that the scripture actually presents of the Father. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people. God's dwelling, no, wait a minute. Our dwelling is with God. It's not what it says. He's made the new heaven and the new earth, and he comes to inhabit the new heaven and the new earth. Now, this is the end time, but he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. But let me just take it all the way home, and I, just, I want you to just kind of meditate on this phrase for a sec. Does your image of God the Father have the dirt of us under his fingernails? Does it? Is that how you thought of the Father? Does it have the, the stuff of your everyday life underneath his fingernails because he's got his hands in your life doing things? I hope you're feeling beauty. I hope you're feeling something from the Father of that's just not how I thought of you before. Having said that, how do we get to the place to where we put the Father up there stoic and distant? And then we have the audacity to take Jesus and put him up there too. How do we get there? What happens? Well, actually, it's pretty simple. Our hearts get dulled by carousing and drunkenness and the worries of this life. See, when we're, see, when I have a need, when I have sin and I need forgiveness, or when I have another need that I'm asking him to help me with, I've asked him in. But then, you know, it's the Super Bowl today. And a lot of beer gets drank at the Super Bowl. And I may drink too much beer, and that's not really the time in which I want to see the Father watching, or Jesus watching me. Right? See, I want to pick and choose the moments when Jesus is in. Because there is some drunkenness and carousing. There is some other things that I kind of want to do. That just makes life fun. Think about it. See, the person that doesn't know the Lord, it really is to the point in our culture where people who don't know the Lord will say something like this. Watch this. I don't want to go to heaven because it's going to be so boring. I want to go to hell where there's going to be some fun. Think about that. How backwards have we gotten our theology, our understanding? You see how corrupted our images are? That there could be that? And again, I don't know Christians don't think that way. Ever? So, so let me ask a question. It's a good day for this. Would Jesus ever want us to be in a bar? Would he? Don't answer quite that quickly and robustly. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I, I need you to, I need you, because you know where I'm going and because you know this and everything else, I need you to do one thing. I'm asking this question in a way I'm asking you to consider more deeply. When you go into a bar, did you... Check Jesus at the door like the dog on the leash. Is there anything of that in a heart? Any of that? Not saying there is, but I'm not saying there isn't. And the thing that we have to remember about Jesus is he said himself, the son of man, me, I came eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now look, but wisdom is vindicated by our deeds. So right here we understand that Jesus didn't have any trouble hanging out in a pub. That wasn't the point. Now let's be clear though, because this is where we get it wrong, right? The Catholic can be too holy. 
and distance us, but a Protestant can be too familiar and presume. Let's do be clear, it does say, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions. Be filled by the Spirit. Now, I'm going to take it a little bit further than this, okay? Um, just hang in there with me, because you got to get the point. Okay, don't, don't stone me right now, okay? <laughs> but when people go to bars and they have some drinks and they're single, and then they see another person that they like, at this point in time, it is unfathomable in the culture that they wouldn't, if they liked each other, sleep together. Do we understand something? And I think as Christians we do, but do we really understand something which is, I pray, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm just gonna skip over that for a second, I'll come back to it. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. So if the idea is, is going to a bar and, and you're faking yourself out, well, I'm not going to hook up, but then, you know, I am single and I have needs and blah, 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 and so then that happens, well, that's not that big of a deal. That proves to you that it is a really big deal. Okay, this, this uniting to one another in oneness is a huge thing to God because he's trying to unite with us in one and the, thing, the, the beef that he's had as we've been learning ad nauseum in Old Testament prophets through soap is what it is to be an adulterer. When we're to be married to him and what we're doing instead is connecting ourselves with other people and so on. Having said that, I do want us to remember something. What is going to happen in most Super Bowl parties today? It's not going to be people getting drunk and hooking up and getting disastrous and all that kind of stuff. What's going to happen in most Super Bowl parties is I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. It's going to be a fun, shared cultural experience. It's going to be something that people are going to enjoy each other's company. It's going to be something where they're going to connect and get to know each other. Now, I would say something. I would hope that a person could connect as easily in a prayer gathering or in church as they could in a bar. I would just say, don't neglect the one. You see what I'm saying? It's don't make it all about, well, you see, I connect with my friends at a bar. I never get together with them for, to pray. I never get together with them to study the scripture. I never get together with them to study God. See what I mean? But I get together with them. Do you see what we're doing here? What we're trying to do is this, this it's sharper than a two-edged sword, divining soul from spirit, bone from marrow. And that's a, such a great word because what it's saying is, is what's the difference between a bone cell and a marrow cell? Because, you know, a marrow cell turns into a bone cell. So they're just a, a, they're just, there's virtually no difference between them, and yet they're quite different. And what, is, what we're doing here is we're trying to take that sharp two-edged sword, and we're trying to go down, and we're trying to divide between two things that are potentially subtle and yet not subtle at all. Because you talk about hooking up, but yet there is this thing about this great mystery of a man and a woman getting together inside of marriage. And that relationship, intimacy included, is a type and a shadow for our relationship with God. It is the thing that he gave us in this world that most closely communicates, most closely is like our relationship with God. This is a huge thing. So what we're going after is, is don't be like this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones and every impurity. See, on the outside, you do everything right. On the inside, you're doing everything you want. In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people, but inside, you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. God says to the prophet Samuel when he's anointing David, who is not the most impressive of the sons, God says, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It isn't about the things that we think. We all know that. We know it's about the heart. 
It's not the outward appearance. It's about what's in your heart. One person walking into a bar is sinning. Another person walking in is not. See it? It's not about the thing. It's about the heart. We get that. We really get that, don't we? But now here's what I want to do. You know how to get it right all the time? There's two ways. One is the Holy Spirit who guides you, talks to you, leads you, does this. But do we understand that there's another person that's there trying to help us at every moment? In the middle of a bar. In the middle of a time where we've gotten ourselves into some problem. Do we understand that there's a Jesus who's sitting there and he knows what's coming? And we don't. But he's, he's going to help us get it right. Do you see it? No, let me make it really clear. You want Jesus with you every second. Because <laughs> dividing between bone and marrow, spirit and soul, that's super hard. <laughs> you cannot do it on your own. It takes the word. It takes the Holy Spirit. It takes Jesus to get the difference between them. Always remember, God created us because he wanted more other beings, us, to experience the glorious love and oneness that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit experience every moment. God was experiencing love, and he was loving the love that he was experiencing, and his heart is not to just keep it to himself. His heart is to spread it out. And so he opens his arms and he creates everything and he gets right in the middle of everything. And he creates all of these relationships of oneness and love and care and the things that he's got. And are they, is, is it a minefield too? Of course it's rife. But Jesus is going to be right there with you saying that this one, this is good stuff. Take a swing at this one. This next one, check off. <laughs> Don't swing at that one. That's not good stuff. When we really get this, we go from Jesus, you just don't really get me. Because when people are hiding from Jesus in any way, shape, or form, what they're saying is there's something going on in them that they're struggling with, and they're trying to keep Jesus just outside the door because there's a part of their flesh that really wants this, and they're trying to keep him distant from it. And when we think of Jesus in an image that isn't him, then we say, you don't really get it. But when we come to know who he really is, we say, thank you for helping me every single moment. You are helping me every moment. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, we are Christians, Christ followers. We follow you. We love you. You love us. You hold us. You are crouched down. You have the stuff of us under your fingernails. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The whole of the Godhead is pulling for us at every moment, helping us. And whether we succeed or fail, you are right there helping us get back up, dust ourselves off, get back in the game, start getting this right, learning what it is to walk the walk, the glorious walk, the incredible walk, the magnificent walk that you and you alone have. This is who you are. We do not allow ourselves to have any image of any other God, of one that with his arms crossed or judging us or, or, or doing anything else. We, we see a God who has come off the throne to us to help us, to be right in the game with us. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Never again. Never again will anybody who heard this be afraid for Jesus to be there, even in the middle of something that's wrong. That's the moment that we just like every other moment, God, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Holy Spirit, I need you. Father, I need you. Oh, God. God, let us get to where it's an instant flip like we talked about last week. As soon as I think one thing, I think another. As soon as I think I want to do something and God wouldn't like this, I think to myself, Jesus is right there, right there, right there helping me take, learn how to handle this moment. Thank you, God. Thank you, God.
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you. I'm asking you right now to impregnate us with new images of you. That Father helping the Son. You, Father, not just staying inside, but coming outside and playing baseball with us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Reach down in front of you. In Jesus' holy and precious name, God, we take this cup and the bottom cup, and which is this body that was broken. And frankly, for the for we see how we broke this by our false images, our false understanding, our theology that created an image of God, which caused us to distance you from us. It wasn't that you were distant, we distanced you. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, we come to you right now and we say, we don't want to be a distance from you. <laughs> we want to be healed by you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did on the cross, for what you did in dying and in rising again and making us new. So we put our finger in there and we break this and we say in Jesus' name, God, though I was broken, you have healed, made whole. Thank you, Jesus. And now in Jesus' most spectacular name, we take this together to say thank you for healing me utterly. Every image of you healed. Thank you, Lord. And now we take this cup, this beautiful cup, in which is this magnificent life, surpassing life, and in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, we know that you have it for us. We know that we need to do nothing more to get it. But we're just asking you in Jesus' name that we would actually become it. And that's not gonna happen unless you do it. If you're here and you don't know the Lord, what a beautiful moment to say yes to him. Show me what the life you have for me really is. And so in Jesus' beautiful name you beautiful savior we take this life that you've made possible for us that you have for us and we take it saying make it mine <laughs>